1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Welcome, one and all, to Monday Football Monday here on the SB Nation NFL Show. A reminder before we keep going that this show is brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That is code SBNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. As noted, this is Monday Football Monday, specifically on the SB Nation NFL Show, which you should subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the SB Nation NFL Show, subscribe. Leave a rating, write a review. Those things make us happy. If you would prefer to watch the show, you can do so on the SB Nation NFL YouTube channel. You can see all of our bright, shining, beautiful faces. My name, is Joe Ochoa from SB Nation's blog. And the boys, the fantastic Rachelle Prevett on the ones and twos as always. And with me here, as they are every single Monday from SBNation.com, it is J.P. Acosta. And unlike Max Verstappen, a winner here, Mark Schofield, uh, of course, uh, who covers all of our f one uh, perusings at
2: Espionation. Mark, congratulations to Carlos Sainz and my team of choice, Ferrari. A fantastic day for Ferrari. Um, fantastic day for F1 fans. We actually had a race that came down to the close and laps, um, which was kind of exciting. It did not involve, as you said, Max Verstappen. A really tough weekend for Red Bull. But everything's going to be okay for them. They're still going to clinch the title next weekend in Japan. And, you know, we'll be able to move on to the 2024 season. But great day for Ferrari. You know, shout out to Lewis Hamilton getting onto the podium. another podium for Lando. Shout out to Oscar Piastri, you know, the J.P. Acosta of the F1 world. um, Started 17th and got himself into the point, so it was a nice day for him. But it was a lot of day for me as a result because you're up cranking from 7 a.m. till the final play of that Patriots-Dolphins game. And friends, it's one of those days that my good friend, dear friend, Michael Kiss likes to call. It's a double C4 day. (laughs) Let's just put it that way.
1: Um, J.P., some are saying that Mark applied the kiss of death to Red Bull. Because last week, you know, as of a week ago, Red Bull had this, like, historic streak working for them. Mark wears a Red Bull hat on Monday, Football Monday, and all of a sudden, everything falls apart. Screw Alex Albon's appendicitis. It's Mark Schofield and his hat.
3: I think we need to test this out. I think we need to do some scientific research here. I think we need to have, like, we got a Fenway hat, yeah. Going this is this
2: the Fenway sicko hat. So if the sicko sign behind the green monster somehow topples over in the next seven days, we'll know the curse of the Mark Schofield hat is real. <laughs> I, think, uh,
1: I think we need to test this out. Just to be safe, JP, what hat are you wearing? So that you know, we if something great happens, maybe you're the opposite of this is curse. even
3: better. Oh, we got we got the Chili's hat going today.
1: Fi- okay. fine
3: dining institution.
1: You know, uh, speaking of Chili's, I'm scheduled to speak with Dallas Cowboys running back Tony Parr this week on behalf of a partnership. He has with choice. Kind of a popular theme uh, across there the ESPN Nation universe uh, this week. Mark, you mentioned it. Um, you were, you know, working all day long. Sunday, of course, uh, week two uh, in the NFL. Speaking of the number two, the NFL dropping a Monday night deuce on us tonight. We have two Monday night football games. We had a Thursday night football game. So that leaves us with 13 games that took place all across the great day of sunday jp let's go ahead and start with that sunday night football game that mark schofield who knows why stayed up to watch and and work and cover uh the patriots despite the coolest blocked field goal i think we'll ever see in our lives uh fall to 0 and two against the miami dolphins 24 to 17 the final score and they looked great they had the throwback uniforms like i don't find myself often saying this jp but the patriots had too much going on for them in the cool department to lose them
3: yeah, it's a, it's a rough game when you come out looking as cool as the Patriots do and then you lose because now everybody's talking about, oh, they did all this cool stuff, but they lost in the end. It was the block, the block field goal, which was nothing I've ever seen before at any level of football. Sending a guy into motion, like you doing the Dolphins motion against the Dolphins, but on special teams is cool as hell. Like that's something I think everybody's going to try and do the, this next week. There's going to be like 50 encroachment penalties for all sides penalties because nobody's going to be able to <laughs> time it right like you did the first time. But it was super cool. Cole Strange had the greatest play of all time that was ruined by the NFL. I think the NFL is against their big people, and I think that's a problem. I think they need to allow the greatest athletes on the field to be great, and they didn't let them do that. That should have been a first down. They know it. But really, it's just the Patriots are such a weird team. Because you see all these games, and they're so close. But then you go back to a poor first first quarter, poor start by the offense, and dug them into a hole. And and then all of a sudden, you start to see them fighting back out of it. The defense played phenomenally in the second half. I want that to be known. They started off slow against the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins found their answers in the run game when they started to go to that three-safety defense, and they started to hit them on the edges of the defense. Bill Belichick flipped that around. The second half. That was a great second half performance. Christian Gonzalez shadowed Tyree Kill for most of the uh, game after the first quarter. Looked great. That's a rookie going in there against the second best receiver in the game. And he looked phenomenal, got an interception. I think Keon White played really well. It's just the offense, man. It is, they cannot get out of their own way to start games. And it looked fine after the rest of the game. Mac Jones did a lot of really good things on Sunday night that I didn't think he could do. We saw Mac Jones as a runner. Like, I didn't think we would see, like, dual threat Mac Jones at all during his NFL career. But he looked good. He looks good in this offense. But it's so hard. Everything for the Patriots is so hard offensively. And that's just, you can't make it this hard on yourself when you have such cool jerseys.
1: Mark, um, Christian Gonzalez look great. I think there's reason to believe in Mac Jones. Uh, again, the defense put out a, a really impressive performance against an offense that we know can light up scoreboards in the NFL. Um, I don't know that there's a moral victory except for the fact that the last time the Patriots were 0-2, it was the birth of a dynasty.
2: Yeah, I mean, Patriots fans are wishing there were things like moral victories that counted somehow with you know, a point or something like a tie, um, but there aren't. And this may ultimately be the story of their season, which is they are, as JP said, extremely close, but yet so far away. Shout out Holland and Oates because the defense is great. You know, this defense is going to force some turnovers. We saw it against the Philadelphia Eagles, where they got some stops, got the fumble from Jalen Hurts to give themselves and that offensive chance to go win the game. They got some stops. They got the turnover. They got the Gonzalez interception, which, you know, was kind of underthrown. But still, like JP said, you're asking a rookie corner who, while he was built in a lab to play defensive back for Bill Belichick, this is Tyreek Hill we're talking about. And he's doing a very good job against them, particularly in the second half of the game. Miami found some success running to the edges. The Patriots were playing a little bit light on the edges early in the game. They switched things up a little bit. That defense is very good. It's the offense. Can the offense do just a little bit more? Because I said this going into the year. The defense was going to be good enough to keep them in games. But the story was going to be, can their offense – then be just decent enough to help them win those games, and they haven't been yet. You've got a one score loss to Philly, a one score loss to Miami, those are nice on paper, but you got to start getting some wins. The slow starts are concerning whether it's changing things up on the game script, your first 15, however you want to do it, get something going offensively earlier in game so you're not down 16, nothing, you're not down 10, nothing, you're not down multiple scores before you start clicking as an offense. I think the offense will get better, but an 0 2 start. It's kind of tough to overcome. They've done it before. Maybe they can do it again. With this defense, they've got a shot, but that offense, while getting better, needs to start holding up their end of the bargain.
1: JP, on the other side of things, the Miami Dolphins, 2-0, 2-0 on the road. That was a good point that the broadcast highlighted. Of course, four of their final five games are um, in South Beach. Next up in their home opener, they have the Denver Broncos. The Dolphins are kind of doing, they're kind of living at the positive end of the spectrum of everything that we thought they could be. Um, I even found myself, not being annoyed at the mike mcdaniel sprinting at the end of halftime or the beginning of halftime after the interview with melissa stark like the mike mcdaniel stuff i'm fine with it doesn't annoy me as much as like the lions stuff does uh but still the the dolphins are fun and interesting JP,
3: not only fun and interesting but i think they're trying they're finding the answers to all the questions that they had last year where they were ineffective running the ball so teams are going to play a little lighter so you have to run the ball they have to they have to throw it underneath you're not gonna be able to throw it deep they started to find those answers to last night against the Patriots. They started to run the ball really well. Raheem Mostert had a big 43-yard game. But outside of that, they were just efficient running the ball. You don't have to be explosive in this offense on the ground. You just have to be efficient. Keep them on schedule. Tua looked great, once again, throwing the ball underneath, making plays when he needed to. But you could see them start the sequence and start to build off the base stuff that they run. A big popular thing has been kind of that out motion. I think they either call it out or flare motion where Tyreek Hill runs, instead of going like short motion in towards the formation, he's running it out away from the formation, which is basically creating spacing and angles and giving the fastest player on earth a running start. But now they're starting to do it with different players. They're starting to sequence it a lot better. There was a big Jalen Waddle 20-yard screen pass based built off of that, built off of that out motion because defenses are fanning out now you're starting to try and adjust to getting that out motion handled that now Jalen wall can get into into the crevices of that defense on the inside and make plays after the catch so you're starting to see them start to sequence a little bit more sequence a little bit better i still have a lot of questions about the defense i think the broadcast may played up how well they played on the defensive line this Sunday, but the Patriots were missing, I believe, three of their five starters on the offensive line. I think Mike Unwenu left middle, middle of the game. I didn't see him throughout the rest of the game. Eventually they're going to play a an offensive line that I think looks competent. And I still worry about their ability to defend the run. Um, their passing game without Jalen Ramsey leaves a little bit to be desired. Of course, they had the interception by Xavier Howard, but I do wonder like the patriots were pretty efficient throwing the ball outside of that uh, interception mac jones looked really good he had time and when he had time he was able to get the ball downfield it was very much a whoever eli apple is guarding throw it at him and that's going to be a problem that is going to be a major issue for them going forward if eli apple continues to play it's been the eli apple thing his entire career you're going to get thrown at a lot so However they adjust to that, you can tell Vic Fangio still is trying to figure it out, figure out what he's got on this defense. But but as long as the offense continues to fire like this, you know, they they had an inefficient game and scored 24, which should give you enough to win a game. So they're in a really good spot right now.
1: Mark, let's move on um, because I'm sure you don't want to talk about the Dolphins. Um, There were a surprising amount of dramatic games. Um, I know you were busy. Uh, with the the kind of fallout of Singapore but uh, Scott Hanson talked about this how um, in the early slate of games that every game had drama at the end of the first half it was kind of the first time maybe in red zone history uh, that it has been that contentious across every single game that was active at the time uh, the Atlanta Falcons emerged victorious over the Green Bay Packers 25 to 24 Atlanta in the running for a most fraudulent 2-0 and team I think um I well, I don't know. Do you agree? Do you not agree? I, I mean, don't know. Cause...
2: I mean, there are a couple of other two and teams that I'd look at and say, like, hmm, are we really well, they, they're in the in mix? That? I mean, you know, are, are we buying teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for example? Like, I don't know. Maybe we sure are.
1: There, there's a heavy competition, but Atlanta's in it. That's all I'm saying. Like the the Falcons, this was a weird win for Atlanta. It was an I extremely
2: mean... weird win, and I don't know if this game tells us more about Atlanta or more about Green Bay. Or more about perhaps the Chicago Bears. Like like the, maybe the sort of transitive property of NFL math tells us that like, look, the Chicago Bears aren't great. Like, And I know we're going to get to them at some point. Uh, but it was a very weird win. I, I think the major takeaway for me watching Atlanta is Bijan is fantastic. I know JP is going to do something on him at some point this week, but... He is everything you want to see from the sort of modern NFL running back, like the way they use him, the way they space him out, the way they can use him in the pass game, the way they can use him in the run game. He's off to such an effective start. They got Drake London involved. You know, he caught a touchdown pass, which is nice to see. Like maybe Arthur Smith has decided, hey, maybe I should listen to fantasy players or something. I don't know what's going on over there, but they finally got him involved a little bit you know, if they could start getting Kyle Pitts involved a little bit more as the season goes along, like this could be a sneaky offense and a sneaky fun offense. I'm still not buying Desmond Ritter, but I'm buying those weapons and I'm buying Bijan in a big way. You know, on the flip side, Green Bay, like, you know, was this Jordan Love some struggles there? Or was it this Atlanta defense is sneaky good too? Because one of the storylines coming out of week one you know, what we saw from the Atlanta Falcons against Carolina was maybe this defense is pretty good. Maybe Bates is very good. He picked Bryce Young's pocket twice, doing a very good job reading his eyes. And so the sneaky Atlanta Falcons, maybe they are a pretty good team. JP,
1: Matt Collins finished with more receptions than Kyle Pitts. Why is that a true thing? Why, why is that real? Like why, why? I mean, I think that's
3: incredibly funny. Incredibly (laughs) funny. Um, I think, like Mark said, Bijan Robinson is a special player. We can we could see that when he was in Texas, when he first came into the league. This is a special, special talent. They have to get him the ball as many times as possible. Get him as many chances with the ball as you need. I still don't buy into Desmond Ritter. I think there's there's still something like, hey man, there's some real boneheaded throws here. Like the entire like first half was filled with boneheaded throws. Like don't do that anymore. But with the way that this offense is built, maybe all Desmond Ritter has to do is just not screw up. And that's gonna be the that's gonna be the issue here. Can Desmond Ritter not screw up? Um the Packers, the big question here is what are we doing with David Bakhtiari? That's that's the real big issue here. He did not play against the uh Falcons, and mainly because I think there were a lot of reports that he didn't want to play on turf. And I get that understand that turf sucks but when you're the fourth highest paid left tackle in the nfl by average value you got to play games like your best ability on the field is availability and this packers team needs david bottiari on the field especially when during the game elton jenkins left so now you're missing former all pro at left tackle pro bowl left guard so that that's not great on top of missing aaron jones and christian watson as well as I think Jordan Love played, which again, he played pretty well. He You could tell that they were missing that explosive or that number one guy in that uh, pass catching or in that skill position room. Aaron Jones is going to be back. That's going to be fine. Christian Watson is going to come back soon. He had a messed up hammy, but he'll be back. I'm worried about David Batiari. I think that is a major question that I had going in before the season. But now now during the season, you need that guy to play. And I understand the not wanting to play on turf, but you make a lot of money, man. Like you, They paid David Battiari
2: a lot of money to play games, and he hasn't played. Can we talk about Jordan Love's failed QB sneak for a second? Because <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And Sam Monson actually quote tweeted it with, this is the drunkest I've ever seen an NFL player look. They tried to go like a quick quarterback sneak, and Jordan Love was the only one that moved. Nobody snapped the ball. None of the other offensive linemen move, and so he just kind of like stumbles forward in the a gap between the center and the right guard. And it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen.
3: He looks like Bambi, you know, yeah, Bambi when on he's on ice. ice trying to learn how yeah. to walk, yeah, on ice. But it's so funny how like NFL players can make the most difficult things on earth look easy, but then make the easiest things look like that.
1: Um, the. Bo- <laughs> Uh, by the way, uh, Rachel, I know you were out last week, but we uh, invented a new mechanism here on Monday Football Monday called the fast forward, where each of us has the ability to kind of zip through a game. Um, so we all still hold that um, at present time. Maybe this game deserved that. I don't know. But either way, uh, the Baltimore Ravens win, get to two and zero over the Cincinnati Bengals, twenty seven to twenty four. It was very clear that John Harbaugh um, cared about this, and why wouldn't you? You already got the win in Cincinnati if you're the Ravens, Mark. Um, I, again, the Ravens are the story here, but I mean. The Cincinnati Bengals were 0-2 last year. We all know that. They wound up making it to the AFC Championship game. I mean, you know, I don't – I think they still have a little bit of the benefit of the doubt left, Um, you know, kind of at their back. But it's starting to burn up. Like, the, it's not just that they're 0-2. Like, the Bengals' offense looks awful.
2: Yeah. Bengals' offense doesn't look great. Um, You know, there was a lot of chatter on, you know, Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it, group chats, things like that, about what's happening with their offense. I know JP mentioned, you know, when we were talking about the games yesterday that – You know, we saw their struggles last year with too high to open the season. It was like the big story. Everybody's writing about, oh, the Bengals can't figure out cover two. They can't figure out middle field open. You know, they saw mostly middle field close last week against the Cleveland Browns, but the Browns are different. Like that defensive front gave them trouble. They saw a little bit more of it this week. They saw some sim pressures were giving them problems. The Ravens did a very good job. If you watch their games, their three games against Cincy last year, with sim pressure looks, they did a very good job again on Sunday. There were a number of plays where – You know, there was one sequence where they showed six. They dropped and just rushed four, but one of them was a slot blitzer who got to Burrow right away. Then the next snap, they showed six and brought six, and they're just sort of confusing your looks up front. They wanted to stress Joe Burrow mentally. They've done that historically. They did that again on Sunday. But I also think the Burrow isn't quite 100%, and it got worse for him because they had that touchdown drive, and then he sort of limped off the field, and now you're hearing that, oh, you know, they, they don't know how the ankle, the calf is going to respond today. You know, they're going to take a look at it and see how he is. He wasn't moving around like we used to see him. He had one play where there was tre- pressure at his feet and kind of stepped over it, but wasn't sliding to find throwing lanes as well as he usually does, which is something he's very good at. So, yeah, this is 0-2, and it's a concern because not just your are 0-2, not just your offense is struggling, not just your quarterback doesn't seem healthy, you're 0-2 in the division like that's big like it's not your like okay patriots are 0 2 but it's a non conference loss and it's one loss you're 0 2 in the afc north like that might be tough to overcome given how at least right now two of those teams cleveland and, and pittsburgh i mean excuse me in baltimore look really good right now that could those be those are the two north losses South.
1: yeah to your point like they, it's not like they have a, a last year they their two losses were to pittsburgh at home and then to dallas um in the cooper rush you know phenomenon's beginning uh, but jp They've lost to the Ravens now, who, you know, the Browns are are interesting. And I think we're all interested to watch them Monday night and as the season continues to unfold. But I think we all agree that Baltimore is the the heavy favorite in the AFC North. And so you've now not only lost a game to them, but you've lost your home game to them. Like, this is a very, to Mark's point, like, 0-2 is a difficult thing in and of itself to overcome. The statistics around that have changed a little bit in the 17-game era. But with that being, like, I, I think about the 2015 Cowboys a lot. Because they started off their season 2-0, and and then Tony Romo got hurt. But those two wins were in division. And that kept them alive the entire season because of how valuable that is. So this is the other side of that coin.
3: Yeah, and I think the issues with the Bengals are maximized by Joe Burrow being hurt or not being 100%. The entire reason the Bengals are able to do what they do out of gun and out of empty is because Joe Burrow can make things work when things don't go right. He's not the best athlete, but his pocket movement and his mobility is what makes that offense work. If he's not 100%, everything snowballs from there. Not only that, but not only were the Dolphins, not Dolphins, the Ravens stressing him mentally, but they were stressing him physically. There were a lot of unblocked pass rushers or unblocked blitzers coming in. Joe Burrow just really couldn't do anything about it. But the Ravens are capital G good. That is a really, really good football team. Quietly last year, after adding real Smith, the Ravens had one of the best defenses in the NFL. And Lamar Jackson is phenomenal. That's a really, really good quarterback. I mean, now that you've added Zay Flowers, which provides so much more juice and explosion to this offense, you can tell that that offense looks looks different than last year. It looks slow last year. But Zay Flowers, now you look fast. And now you have some downfield options to give to Lamar Jackson, who once again is reminding people that this dude is a unanimous MVP. Like, he didn't just lose all of that. Like, Lamar Jackson is still one of the five best quarterbacks in the league. Five, six best quarterbacks in the league. And he's – yesterday was an, a pure example of that.
1: Um. Great day for Zay Flowers, obviously. I think that you know we're super early, but the the heavy favorite for offensive rookie of the year right now, unless one of the quarterbacks takes a big step. Uh, but Nelson Aguilar, what a what a, a performance he had! The prettiest touchdown of the day, I thought, was, was Lamar good, yeah. Jackson and Nelson Aguilar. Um, so very cool to see um, kind of the the wide ranging number of options that Todd Monken is working with there in Baltimore. Uh, Mark, I mentioned it. I don't think the Lions are frauds, uh, but in JP, I know you wrote about the ski mask thing, which was super funny. Uh, But the Lions fell at home to the Seattle Seahawks, the home opener, after having a week and a half to rest up and build up the hype. Uh, Jared Goff, through an interception, you know, didn't ultimately set the the NFL record. It's just a kiss of death whenever they talk about that, obviously. Um, Are are you. Do you have a little bit less faith in the Lions? A little, I mean, this was a, a resounding performance from the Seahawks who disappointed us all last week. And I think some of the context is that the Rams were plucky against the Niners. But um, so maybe Seattle's better than we thought. Like, this is, a, this is a, a narrative-shifting game in a number of ways.
2: I think so. I wonder if there was, in a way, sort of a letdown after that opener, right? You go into Arrowhead. You beat the defending Super Bowl champs. Like, you know, you yeah, you've got the extra days to sort of get, come, get past that and get ready for this one home opener. But then you sort of give that game away, you know, that, that pick six was, was a bad, bad moment for Jared Goff in that offense. You know, but I do think, you know, again, using that sort of transitive property, maybe this tells us that, yeah, the Rams are real. Like we saw that. I know we're going to talk about that game. Like they hung with San Francisco really well, although the field goal at the end was as Al Michaels might say, interesting to a certain portion of the population. Um, Seattle was a nice bounce back for them. Um, I, I think a solid performance from Geno to get in that team to come back in that game, right. you know, the two touchdowns, 328 passing. Um, I think both of these teams are going to be in it in the NFC until the end. You know, I, I still think that looking around the rest of the North, like the, the North had a really bad day yesterday, but I still think the lions right now look like the best of those teams. I do think that the Niners and the Seahawks are just a step above the Rams perhaps, even though the Rams won that first game in Seattle. Um, but I think both of these teams will be in it till the end in that conference.
1: JP, this was a really well-quarterbacked game. Um, I don't know that, you know, I, I mean, the I guess the popular opinion has shifted a bit on both Geno and Jared Goff over the last year. Um, but to Mark's point, I mean, like, we do the, like, ranking the NFC quarterbacks, and it's Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott, and, you know, Kirk Cousins is a little bit disrespected sometimes. Matthew Stafford's kind of back on the rise. Everyone was quick to put Derek Carr in that conversation. But Geno Smith and Jared Goff are certainly carrying their end of, the, of their weight.
3: Yeah, I think they both have fantastic performances, but I also think these two defenses gonna, gonna be a problem this year. And especially now the news that just broke a few, mi- a few minutes ago before we started on the podcast, James Houston has a fractured ankle, gonna be out six to eight weeks. That's a big pass rush chip that you're now missing. Now you're having to resort to Aiden Hutchison only to get pass rush. So I think the defenses are both going to have a lot of growing pains. Um, Geno played phenomenally. I think Jared Goff played really well as well. The pick six was really ugly. That, that was just really bad. But you can tell that both of these offenses know what they're doing. They know how to build off of their base ideas and base schemes, and they know what to do with their personnel. Jameer Gibbs usage was really fun. I think it was really cool with how they're using him as a receiving weapon. And now you have both him and David Montgomery on the field. But now with David Montgomery out, he got hurt during the game. You can tell where Jameer Gibbs isn't exactly the perfect back, and that's where in pass protection, short yardage, he's just not big yet. And that's, that's going to happen when you're a rookie. You know, you, you're, you're playing against grown men. Like, the, the, that's, a grown, that's a grown dude coming in to hit you. So that's going to happen. Um, I think the Seahawks are still going to be in it because that offense travels. You know, that offense is always going to be good.
1: Mark, um, I locked up the Los Angeles Chargers and took them um, in our survivor pool at Blogging the Boys. Blew up in my face a little bit. Uh, Brandon Staley got pretty pissed off. Did you Again, you were very busy on Sunday, Mark. Did you see this? I um, did he see was, that.
2: And he should he, be he upset was, because you have this kind of start where you're not turning the ball over. Your quarterback is putting up efficient numbers and you're 0-2. Like, there's only one place where this blame is going to fall. And it's right on his head. I mean, you know... I you can understand sort of the struggles they had defensively last week against Miami. You know that's a very efficient, explosive, creative offense. That Titans passing game had minus three yards in the first quarter. Like, and you lose this game in overtime. Like at some point, and maybe this is in, in my part media frustration because we. As we've talked about on this show, we've bought into the Chargers year after year. Every summer, it's like the leaves start falling. The temperature starts dropping a little bit. And everybody in the media says, all right, it's time for the Chargers to make their run. Like, I'm old enough to remember those stories, starting back with Phillip Rivers. The football has been pulled out from us again. The team is 0-2. They're struggling on the defensive side of the ball, which is his forte. Like, at some point, something's got to give here. And I had multiple people, multiple group chats and stuff on sunday night like we're watching brandon staley lose his job like at at some point the the ownership is going to say you know we've got justin herbert we've got an offense we're losing games because of what's happening on the defensive side of the ball this was your thing this was your bag and it's not working
1: jp it's a beautiful box score right like if you look at the Chargers' side of things like it's you know they're a, a an offense you want a piece of in fantasy those things like that um, and I, to be very clear, I agree with Mark, um, but at some point, and I, I'm look, I, I think very highly of Justin Herbert, but if, if we're going to think very highly of him at some point, if, if you touch the ball in overtime and you go three and out, I mean, like s- some semblance of the blame has to fall on. I agree. Like the vast majority of it falls on the shoulders of Brandon Staley, but like there, it's like, I hate when we do this with any situation where it's one person's fault and nobody else is is fallible in any sort of way.
3: I think it's a lot of compounding issues. I think Justin Herbert is a very, very good quarterback. He, he also is one of the six best quarterbacks to be in the league right now. I also think Justin Herbert kind of constrains Justin Herbert. I think he is so much of a football robot that he is going to go one to two to three and get to the check down, even though you don't really have to. Like, you, you got it, man. You, you have one of the two best, two or three best arms in the league. You can can make that throw if you want to, but he just doesn't want to, and it's on Kellen Moore to kind of coax that out of him. But I'm with you guys on Brandon Staley. I'm done with the Chargers. I picked the Titans, actually, in our uh, SB Nation, uh, our little SB Nation pool, because I knew this was a game that the Chargers would lose. This This is the type of game that the Chargers definitely lose to a team that doesn't look good at anything offensively, and you make them look great. And that's exactly what the chargers do. You take everything that they think they don't do well and you make it look good. And Brandon Staley, like, Hey, look, man, the clock is ticking. Like I, I think it's, it's really bad when not only is he going off in post game press conferences, but you can tell that a coach knows when he's about to get fired, when he starts to grow that I'm about to get fired beard. And Brandon Staley has got that coming in real bad right now.
1: Uh, just to be clear, so what set him off was a question about whether or not he thinks the the playoff loss to Jacksonville, the blown lead, um, has like rippled into this season. And JP, you said you picked the Titans because you knew this is a game that they were going to lose. And I don't think again granted I picked the Chargers because I'm, you know, I just took the cheese, but like I think we all believe that to a certain degree. So like I understand why Brandon Staley went off. I understand why he said what he did. But Mark, I think it's impossible to say that that, that loss doesn't linger. Like it feeds the like chargering thing. Of course
2: like, it lingers. I mean, how yeah. could it not? Like that was a disaster played out for the world to see. And it's like spilled over into some of their decision-making. Like you mentioned the three and out at overtime. Like I know we've been sort of clamoring for Justin and Herbert to be able to throw the ball deep. Right. And that was part of the reason I was excited about them when they brought in Kel Moore. It's like, they're going to throw the deep. Well, their first two pass plays were designed shot plays downfield at overtime. Like the first one didn't work slot fade. Like maybe you go and try to get six yards on second down and make it a manageable third and four. You know, but no, they go another vertical concept. And then on third down, you've got, you know, out routes with the sticks and Justin doesn't right. pull the trigger. Like they're pressing, they're pressing on offense. And you saw that at overtime. And of course, I think that, you know, what happened and how things ended for them, you know, in Jacksonville last year is playing a role here. Like, how could it not? That was a monumental epic collapse in NFL playoff history. So how could that not spill over to the next year?
1: um your point about Kellen Moore is interesting again I'm I'm not gonna sit here and say he sucks but like it it's so again we're, we're two games into this so like I think it's stupid to come up with any hard takes but that was what Mike McCarthy said at the NFL combat he said that he's been where Kellen has been where you just want to light the scoreboard up and to your point Mark like sometimes you have to take that low-hanging fruit and it sometimes feels like Kellen is, is a little bit more about the empty calories um offensively even though they do make obviously things look nice in, in the box score as a result of it um let's move on I guess to the Jaguars this game has fast-forward potential. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to use it, which is...
3: I I actually think this is a very interesting game (laughs) from a homer perspective, because this is why you pay Chris Jones. That's that's exactly why you pay Chris Jones. 17-9,
1: 17-9, to nine, the final score. Chris Jones got a weird contract, kind of felt like he lost the holdout um, last week, JP. Um, you are our resident Jacksonville Jaguars fan. 17-9, um, to nine, the final score. Kind of a bummer um, of, of a vibe for the Jaguars. I, although they never have bad vibes, but like, this was a bummer of a game.
3: So I think this was a bummer of a game because this was a game that it felt like the Jaguars should have won. The Jaguars defense played phenomenally. Like, this was one of the best Jaguars defensive performances I've seen since 2017. This was against Patrick Mahomes and a healthy Travis Kelsey. They had had the passing game, under wraps for a good majority of the game. The run defense was once again very good. This is why you pay Chris Jones. This is why you give him the – I know it was a whole lot of incentive-laden stuff in that contract. He made all those incentives back in one game. That's how good he is and how much they need him on this defense. I remember saying before the season when the Chris Jones contracting was happening, the Chiefs defense is fine without Chris Jones. They are great with them. They have amazing potential to be one of the 10 best defenses in the league with Chris Jones. That is exactly what happened on Sunday to a very good Jaguars offense and a very good play caller, very good offensive mind in Doug Peterson, and a very good quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. They re- you, you rarely see Trevor Lawrence flustered by pass rush. He got kind of flustered on Sunday because Chris Jones is that good, and they build everything off of Chris Jones. I think Seth Walder reported it after the game that Chris Jones lined up over the right tackle as an edge rusher on, I think, 11 of his 31 pass rushing snaps. Where do you think the Jaguars are weakest at? The rookie right tackle. That's exactly what Spags wants to do up front. He wants to find your weak point and then put Chris Jones over there and say good luck. If you want to double, then they're gonna bring blitzes from the other side. That's exactly what happened. The Jaguars knew it was gonna happen, but Chris Jones is just that good, and the DBs are playing a lot better. From the Jaguars' perspective, it's a tough loss to swallow because you feel like you had it. But I'm—I feel like I, I was a little hyperbolic. The end of the game because it's like dang you should have won that game but the offensive line still is a little bit of an issue
1: uh mark on the other side of that speaking of right tackles juwan taylor um what happened last week in the opener uh when something like that happens the whole world pays attention to it and so the you know the the jumping early the lining up like i mean dude's got a target on his back now got, got benched um at one point of this game and had a had penalty issues like um that's a tough scene, especially for a dude who they brought in to kind of be the answer at that spot.
2: Yeah, that is a tough scene. And he had, like, back-to-back holding penalties, which led to him getting sat down a little bit. I mean, yeah, it, it, that's something that's pretty curious to watch going forward because it's not like this this Chiefs offense looked explosive or dynamic or anything like right. that. Like, they're, they're struggling in the run game a little bit. You know, they, they ran the ball, I think, on their first play and decided, look, that's enough. Like, we're not going to do that anymore. Like JP sort of said, like – Said it during the game on Sunday, like maybe they're just going to have to do what we've seen from other teams that can't run the ball is replace that with a horizontal screen passing game. You know, try to get your sort of short yardage stuff that way. That might be what they have to do. But even with all of that, you saw one dynamic throw, you know, the back shoulder touchdown to Sky Moore, which is you cannot defend that. Like you absolutely cannot defend that. The poor corner was in absolute perfect position, but Mahomes put it in the absolute perfect spot. Like that's just the kind of moment that. You know he's so good at delivered and even on a day when your offense sputters and you can't really get things going and you're sitting down your right tackle one big throw and you get out of there with a, a hard fought win which i think was big the chris jones factor as jp said it, it's massive for this team their first sack chris jones aligned over the right tackle gets to the spot forces trevor lawrence to climb carloff this sort of cleans it up with the sack like that right there was the moment where you know, everything JP said came true. This is why you paid the guy, because you can take a defensive tackle, put him at edge, put him on a five technique, put him on a three, put him on a zero technique, put him head up on the center, and he can win there, too. That allows Spags and this defense to do so many different things. And so getting him back is going to be huge. This team's going to be okay going forward. That was a hard-fought win, but one that they definitely needed.
1: J p The Buffalo Bills had a true get right game against the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, that's really all this was this was a uh, this was like a uh, like a fast um is that your fast forward yeah part. yeah,
2: I mean, come on, do we really need to dive into this one?
1: no I'll, i I was going to say is this is like a like a juice. Cleanse. you know what I mean like it's a purification of the body. It's, it felt like that's what the bills went through on Sunday afternoon. so
3: I mean, if we're doing one sentence, it's Josh Allen plays football like cheese from Foster's Home for imaginary Friends.
2: I can't Another talk ju- that, man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, congrats. Buffalo Bills get the win, thirty-eight to ten, over the Las Vegas Raiders. I believe we only have one game left from the noon slate. Um, you teased it earlier, Mark. This is this game has some serious fast forward potential, but uh, maybe we do have to kind of do a post mortem on the Chicago Bears. Um, Bears fans are are going through it uh, right now because they all believed in Justin Fields. And it is more of the same. And it bums me out because I really wanted this to work. 27-17, to 17, the final score. Mark, um, you are our resident quarterback expert. Uh, Justin Fields has had, I believe, four designed runs called so far this season. Yeah, I mean, um, that ain't
2: great. But all I can think about right uh, now is the Tyra Banks meme. We were rooting for you. We were all rooting right. for you, Justin. And it's just not <laughs> so mean. Like, I don't think – and we actually are about to drop uh, the latest assignment of the, the, the world-famous – and award-winning football court at SBNation.com. Myself, JP, James Dater. Uh, we'll re-debate we is Justin Fields done, and I issue a ruling. Now, I have given, as you were seeing that rule in Justin Fields, a stay of execution here, but the clock is ticking because if they don't figure things out, and look, they get the Chiefs and Chris Jones, who we just <laughs> talked about next week, so it's probably not going to get better anytime soon. You know, they got the Commanders two weeks after that. I forget the neck the game in between, but... It's about time to call it here, kids. Like, Justin Fields, it is not working. You know, you look at the way they've structured this roster organizationally, it doesn't seem to have fit at all. The lack of designed runs, the lack of creativity, like that all plays a factor. But at some point, the common denominator is Justin Fields. Like, whether it's he's trying to do too much with his – trying to take shot plays downfield. JP and I have talked about that a little bit. Whether he's not seeing things, he's not trusting himself – Trusting himself in his eyes was a huge problem last year. He would see stuff open and still be afraid to throw it. You've got DJ Moore open on a dig route. Rip it. Rip it. This is the guy that they brought in to help you, and you're not trusting him. You're not trusting yourself in that moment. It looks all shades of bad right now, and I don't see how it gets fixed. So
3: I think I'm, a, I'm definitely on the side of patience, and that's mainly because I don't think Luke Getzey has done a great job at all to start this season. I think there's, I I hate saying it, but they need to lean into the RPO gimmicky stuff. As much as I hate RPOs, like they need to lean into that. They need to give Justin Fields designed quick game. They need to let him be like, hey, you don't throw, you get the ball out now. Like that's, there is no other option here. You need to get the ball out. I think the offense is so predicated on screens and 20 yard passes that there's no in between. And that's, while that's Justin Fields, that's what Justin Fields did at Ohio State. It was very much touchdown or checkdown. That's exposing a lot of his biggest weaknesses. And those weaknesses are becoming glaring cracks. I think the biggest problem here is you can see the scar tissue start to develop of being hit over and over and over and taking so many sacks where not only is he missing open guys on the backside of passes, but he's taking his eyes down at the first sight of like, oh, this guy isn't open. Here comes the pressure. When no, it's not. He's seeing ghosts. That is a problem. And whether it be Justin, I don't think you can blame one person. I don't think you can say Justin Fields is done. I think everything here is bad. And I think it's something that, like, we should have known coming into the season. The Bears weren't going to be that good. They traded for DJ Moore, but that's really it, you know? You still have Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney on this team. Darnell Mooney is a fine wide receiver three, maybe like maybe like bottom of the barrel wide receiver three place Claypool cannot be your wide receiver two. That's never happening again. You got to get him out of here. Um, Cole Komet, just got paid a lot of money. Still don't know Cole Komet's actually any good. So it's just a lot of compounding issues that also make Justin Fields look really bad, but Justin Fields isn't helping
2: at all. I mean the whole point, the way that this was going to be a successful year for the bears was if you got to January regardless of record, believing that Justin Fields was still your quarterback one for 2024. We're not anywhere close to that right now. And they have the extra first round pick. They have the opportunity, perhaps, to go get a guy if they want to. It seems like that's the direction this is trended. Like GP said, I don't think people were expecting outside of don't know, the Chicago area that this was going to be a team making a playoff run. But this was supposed to be a team that at least had their QB one going forward by the time this season was over we're not close to
1: that um i'm kind of with you jp um i think lean into it at the very least so you don't have this weekly headache and frustration like at the very least you have to be a functional football team for this season like you're zero two but like technically everything is still in front of you um we are a bryce young big game away from this storyline really blowing up right like from, from it being like you passed over bryce young for this dude um, the moment that that happens, that the Bryce has his like his breakout game, maybe it's it's tonight. Yeah, that could be five dollars stuff. from now. Yeah, I mean like it's I'm tonight. just saying like everybody that, sees it. It's really like, bad. We're we're in fourth gear right now. Like that's that's the fifth gear that's available for this story. Um, it's such a huge bummer. I guess quickly on the Bucks, Mark, you threw them out in contention uh, for worst two and O team. It does feel like the final grains of sand in the hourglass are dropping on the Bucks relevance and this like the fun Baker story like it feels like they're about to kind of, you know, hit have the clock strike midnight.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, th- there's some interesting quotes floating around like that defense knew like exactly what was coming. Right. They knew what the bears were going to do based on formation, personnel, alignment, you know, but they've got wins that I don't think inspire right now. Like you beat a bears right. team that isn't very good. Like you get the week one win against a team that, you know, we were sort of mixed on the Vikings. I think that's, you know, you can make, maybe make a case of going into Minnesota and winning that game is kind of impressive. But now you get the Eagles, you get the Saints, and you get the Lions, your next three games. like We're going to see just how real that 2-0 is over the next couple of weeks. I think Baker's done some nice things. I was spinning through his the All-22 on him earlier this morning, and there's some timing throws, which I think are kind of cool looking, and I might write about a little bit. Um, but we'll know more about Tampa Bay by, say, October 1 or so.
1: Um, JP, there was one noon game left. Um, you and I both still hold our fast forward, um, unless you really want to talk about the Indianapolis Colts beating the Texans 31-20. to 20. Um, I don't... This game this game lost all juice when Anthony, Anthony Richardson left. He had the two touchdowns, it's and it was nuts. like the prophecy coming oh true.
3: Because like, both of those guys played... Both those rookie quarterbacks played really good. CJ Stroud yeah. finished 384 passing yards, which were, which I think is the second highest mark in, like, a rookie's, like, second game, like, ever. He played really, really good. And there were a lot of... so boring, though. Such a boring game
1: despite all this.
3: I think because Anthony Richardson left the game, it got boring. But watching C.J. Stroud throw the ball is so fun. Yeah. I said it before the draft. I said it, like, during the draft process. C.J. Stroud reminds me of of a professional golfer with the ability to get the ball up and down and onto the green. You know, he's got that touch as a thrower. He's a special touch thrower. Anthony Richardson's just so fun. He's such a fun quarterback, and it looks so cool. But you hear leaving with a concussion, and you start to get scared. You start to get a little nervous. I don't think this is a sign where the Colts have to be like, hey, we're not running you anymore, because that takes away a large part of what Anthony Richardson brings to the table. But you got to try and tell him, you know, he's 20, 21 years old. Maybe try and protect yourself a little bit. Try and slide. Maybe go out of bounds here. You don't have to run everybody over. And I think that's something that Josh Allen learned very quickly. Um, I think that's something RG3 unfortunately had to learn. Like you can't, something Cam Newton learned at the end of his career. You can't run everybody over like you did in college and in high school because you're going to start taking a lot of hits. That damage over 17 games is going to accumulate. But while he was in, that offense was
2: fun. Shane Steichen is cooking with the guys that he has. Yeah, I mean the the, the Richardson concussion are, is kind of weird because it's not exactly clear when it happened. There's a lot of speculation it happened on his second touchdown run where he got right. hit like right at the goal line. And it's like y- you kind of expect him to to try to score there. Like you you know, I don't think you're gonna expect him to sort of dip out of bounds at the one to protect himself, but I think the overall point is right, JP, where you do need him to protect himself. But Trevor Lawrence actually said after their game week one, like, yeah, he made some great plays. It was fun watching him, but he's got to sort of protect himself. So, you know, going forward, you might see him maybe not pass up touchdowns, but you know, this is something that Lamar does so well. If you watch Lamar, there are times where like, he understands that like, yeah, I could try to hit a home run here. I can try to spin. I could try and move in the open field, but I'll save that. I'll get down, I'll slide, I'll dip out of bounds, and I'll take the 12-yard gain and pass up the potential for the 60-yard run because I don't want to expose myself to that kind of hit. Now, Lamar and Richardson have different body types. Like, Richardson's built like a tight end or a power four. He's built like a four but runs a four-four-three. Like, he's obscene how talented and and skilled he is. But the Colts drafted him to play 17 games for the next 10 years, not to play five games and bits and spurts here and there. And so... That will be the lesson for him going forward. CJ was equally impressive, I think. I know a lot of it came like late in the game. You're seeing soft coverage and stuff. But even earlier in the game when he's got pressure in his face, he's ripping in cuts. He's ripping digs. He's ripping posts. He's putting the ball exactly where it needs to be. JP's point about layering throws is so good because he's so great at getting the ball over that secondary window in front of the safeties and things like that. I think he's going to be very good once they start filling in things around him. So I'm excited about his future. I'm excited about both of these young quarterbacks.
1: Yeah. I mean, if the Texans have some success, then the the Bryce young point relative to Justin Fields matters because to your point, JP's job and your point, Mark looks great. If the, if the Texans, if that just becomes a little bit more visible to like the world, um, then if you're a bears fan, you're just kind of wondering what if uh, because point hindsight is 2020 um the san francisco 49ers improved to 2-0 with a little bit of a tight game jp against the la rams Uh, maybe the rams again as mentioned deserve a little bit more credit um i guess before we get to the game um i'm sure you both saw the cam Akers thing um this was this remains weird it felt like last year nobody cared like the rams literally said things like he will never play a down for us ever again um only for him to return like two weeks later on sunday morning there was all this chatter kind of same sort of thing jay glazer reported Uh, While we've been on, Ian Rappaport tweeted that the Rams have had trade talks centered around Cam Akers, um, that he was inactive after a difficult week of practice. Um, Kyron Williams had two touchdowns on Sunday, which helped me out in my personal fantasy league. Um, And Sean McVay, JP, said about Cam Akers, I think there's going to be an opportunity to see what that looks like moving forward, but it's not going to be a back and forth thing. Um, This is very, very, very strange. It's
3: all very weird. I think a lot of it is like, hey, maybe some guys are just bad vibes. Some guys just aren't fun to be around. Maybe Cam Akers is a bad vibes guy. You know, maybe that's just what's happening here. Um, it's very weird how it started out, like like you said last year, very quiet. But now like everybody knows because it's the first two weeks of the season. Like, you, this guy might not actually be like that fun to be around. which. <laughs> You know, it makes it a lot worse when Kyron Williams scores two touchdowns and looks like everybody's having fun, even though they lost. It's just very weird. I think Sean McVay saying that was, uh, you, you'll have a chance somewhere else. It's not going to be here,
1: though. Um, Mark, I have not seen an update on Brandon Ayuk as of this morning. Um, this game was happening while the Cowboys were on. So my attention was a little bit diverted, but, um, I don't mean to say that that didn't really matter, uh, because Brandon Ayuk is incredible, but the, the Niners still managed to survive offensively. Uh, Christian McCaffrey had another hundred yard day. Debo Samuel kind of got back involved. Brock Purdy, uh, again, I, this, you know, had some struggles, but I mean, Um, the Niners are a machine. They are the most inevitable team in the NFL.
2: Yeah, they are a machine. And this gets sort of to the error band idea of football, right? Where on a day where like Brock Purdy kind of struggled and you're up against an offense with Matthew Stafford that seems to be doing some things really well in the passing game right now. You know, you can lead into the run game. JP tweeted out earlier in the day that like he could watch that Niners run game 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm right there with him. It's such a fun run game to watch the different things they do schematically, the way they use their players and put them in a position to be successful. Pretty high opportunities to make this a three-score game, perhaps. He had some big throws that he missed, and he knows that he missed them. But even on a day where he struggles and isn't sort of creating like we saw him do last week against the Steelers, you can get a win like this that was basically a two-score game, although – You know, they kicked the field goal right as time expired to make it a one-score game, which, as I alluded to earlier, is very, very important for a certain percentage of the population watching that game. Um, This is a very good, complete football team. You know, sometimes you have to win ugly, win close in the NFL, but they've done that now. You know, they've got, I think, two pretty impressive wins. They go East Coast, West Coast team coming to East to beat the team. And trounced the team that a lot of people thought in the Pittsburgh Steelers were maybe the the exciting upstart team to watch in the AFC. Now you again go technically on the road a little. That kind of felt like mm-hmm. Levi Stadium a little bit. Was, they way. wore the
3: home reds.
2: I mean, yeah, I that that felt like a home game for them. It wasn't technically though. It's you know two and zero on the road. You got to win in the division. You know this is a team that has that big error band. It's going to be hard to to sort of put together a complete game to beat this team right now.
1: JP, um, two questions on a one to 10 scale, 10 being the most, how much are you buying into Puka Nakua? And how much are you buying into the Rams overall?
3: Puka Nakua, I'm at a nine right now. That dude, <laughs> is good. Capital That's G, true. capital O, capital O, capital D, good. That's a good receiver. And what he does so well is he does the same stuff that Robert Woods did for the uh, for the Rams. I wrote about it in an establishment fund last week. He looks just like what Robert Woods was doing. He's able to win in tough areas of over the middle of the field, but he's also able to create separation. It gives them that gives Matthew Stafford another option. When Cooper cup gets back, I'm kind of, I was a little down on the Rams to start the season. Hey, maybe if the world was yeah. JP.
1: You're fine.
3: <laughs> I'm around like a five or six. I think this team can maybe, they could sneak into the playoffs. You know, if they, if they put everything right together and main reason, because Matthew Stafford's dealing like that dude's playing really, really good. Um, I think Sean McVay is, once again, dialing things up for him. They're dialing things up to break opposing defenses. But one thing that I want to say is, like, shout out to Steve Wilkes for the second half adjustments. Because he went in the second half. Uh, the Rams offense was kind of generating a lot of offense. Then they just started sending the pressure. They're just like, hey, we're going to hit this blitz button all game and see what, see what you can do about it. They didn't do much. De'Amador Lenore had some great moments. Isaiah Oliver had an interception or a fumble recovery. But. It's so hard to beat that team when you have so much talent everywhere. Fred Warner was phenomenal again. Like that, I think the discussion around Fred Warner should not only be like, not only is he the best linebacker in football, I think we need to put him up there with best defensive players in football because of how valuable he is to that team and how valuable a great middle linebacker is in shutting off everything over the middle of the field. So when you have that guy and you have Nick Bosa and you have all the complimentary pieces around him, it's tough to beat them, but the Rams put up a really good fight.
1: Mark, the Dallas Cowboys um got their second one of the season. They are two and for the first time under Mike McCarthy, 30 to 10, the final score. Um they did the Sinatra style start to the season and won aggregately 70 to 10 over the Giants and Jets. Um this this win about, I think is as many of us expected for 90% of all sort of simulations and projections, Zach Wilson was overwhelmed, right? Like there was the the small possibilities that the Jets were this like ragtag group of underdogs and they would storm in and get the win at at and Stadium, but that did not happen. The Cowboys held the ball for 42 minutes and 15 seconds. Just a, a kind of suffocating sort of win as the offense piled up points and the defense, once again, made hay of Zach Wilson. Uh, Micah Parsons is, I don't, we've run out of hearts for him at Vlog on the Boys at this point
2: yeah, and I think you could almost sum up this game with the Jets' touchdown, as odd as that might sound, because it took a perfect route, a perfect throw, and like a missed tackle or two along the way to get a big play against this defense. And I think that tells us everything we need to know about what this Dallas defense is going to be able to do this season. I mean, as you sort of said, Micah Parsons, will running out of ways to describe him, not just at blogging the boys, but league wide. I mean, he's... Such a force up front for Dan Quinn. I mean, it's like I I signal on leash hell. That's what they do. And you just pick out, you know, who am I going to make? Who am I going to, yeah, I'm going to go right here. This is who we're going to destroy. This is who we're going to obliterate, have Micah obliterate on our way to the quarterback. They're able to do that on almost a down to down basis. They suffocate you on both sides of the ball. You know, you, you talk about the suffocated offense and the way they, you know, kept possession in that game and sort of made it so. You know, the Jets couldn't get any sort of rhythm going. They suffocate you on defense as well. This is a very scary football team. It's a scary football team, and dare I say, best team
3: in the league? My I man, could, let's I go. You might be at that point. Like, their defense is so bleeping fast. It's just the first set Zach Wilson took in the beginning of the game. Michael Parsons was on him in an instant. Like, that shouldn't happen. Like, that's, in, that's insanely fast. And they're not only fast at Micah Parsons. Everybody on that defense is fast. They play a lot of safeties. All of them are fast. And all of them play extremely well. Everybody on the defensive line, when they get you, the Cowboys really want to get you into those third downs and mediums and third and longs. Because then they can put all the pass rushers on the field. And those guys are all fast. But they're not a team where they're super weak in the run game up front. Because Jonathan Haken is playing really well. Osa Diggy Zo will playing phenomenally to start the season. But, you know, the thought was this game would be kind of a defensive struggle because the Jets defense is really, really good. Dak Prescott was having none of that. I'm I'm happy that Dak is playing really well to start this season because I have always been a Dak is an elite quarterback truther. Dak is a real ball truther. And what they kept doing to the Jets is they just kept poking at them. You know, it's like, hey, here's a little slant here for five yards. Here's a little flat route for five yards. Here's a little hitch route. Four yards, then boom, C.D. Lamb down the seam, 24 yards. Then boom, C.D. Lamb over route, 25 yards. They just keep poking at you. They find the weakness. They're, it's like a boxer, you know? They're going to keep hitting you with the jab. They're going to hit you with a jab, hit you with a jab. And then as soon as you're expecting another jab, they hit you with a cross, and now you're on the ground wondering what just happened. Like, this is, they might be the best team in the league <laughs> so far. Like, that's a, they're a complete football team.
1: Um, I know we're gonna post this uh clip at Blog of the Boys. So uh for all BTBers, JP is on Twitter at Acosta, 32 underscore JP, and Mark is on Twitter uh at Mark Schofield. Although again to your point, Mark, maybe we're calling it X. And that's Schofield S C H O O-Field. Uh but uh yeah, you know, make sure the Cowboys fans know that you guys are singing the praises of the best team in the NFL potentially. Um I don't know if either of you saw, but some Cowboys fans are Cowboys fans can be fickle. Uh you know, breaking news. Um and they're really upset about the fact that Brandon Aubrey had to kick five field goals and that the red zone offense wasn't great. And again that to my point earlier goes back to the, the Kellen Moore discussion. I mean, the Cowboys were more than content, Mark, to just kind of again, you know, like a like a wrestling match, just kind of let you exhaust yourself. in our post-game show I compared it to uh to the challenge on MTV. I don't know if either of you watched America's but, fifth uh, floor, but, yeah. but there are Exactly. There are often like the, the pole wrestling competitions they have to have very often. Somebody will just wear out the strength of the other person and kind of wait for their moment. And it feels like that. The Cowboys know that they have this, the horses on both sides of the ball to do that.
2: Yeah. It's Ali Foreman, the rumble in the jungle. Like, you know, you let them punch themselves out. So they're tired. Like you can do that in the national football league when you have a defense like this, because you know that like, look, so we, Tack up a bunch of field goals. That's probably going to be enough, given what we have on the defensive side of the ball. Like you, the Cowboys are built to win. And this is one of the things that, you know, when I start looking at and start thinking about what teams are going to make deep runs, how many different ways do you have to win a football game? Because it looks like the Cowboys right now, if they need to, can win in a shootout. Like it looks like they can win that way. They can win a 15-12 field goal game. They can do that, too, because of what they can do on the defensive side of the ball. They can win from behind because their defense is going to force some turnovers at a point. They're going to make you make a mistake. They're going to force an interception. They're going to force a strip sack. They have so many different ways to win. It's not like some other teams, like the Patriots, for example, that everything has to break perfectly for them to win a football game. New England and Mac Jones, as good as that offense is compared to last year, they're not winning in a shootout right now. Like, maybe they could win the ugly games, but they can't win in an offensive shootout. Dallas can win a number of different ways. That's what makes them so dangerous. They can win on a day when they can just settle for field goals because of what their defense can do to the quarterback, the opposing passing game. And so that variety of ways to win is huge for an NFL team
1: jp uh just quickly on the jet side of things again this went pretty chalk in terms of how we expected it um and i think this is really understandable but the vibes are starting to get really bad uh with the jets uh james wrote about this uh, at sb nation uh how Brees hall uh the quote was i only had four touches that's why we struggled um and he said that other running backs could have done more to make the most of plays but uh, he said we got down early and kind of abandoned the run and yeah that's hello like that was you know obvious uh happen. it's worth mentioning Zach Wilson finished the day with three interceptions. He had none at the beginning of the fourth quarter. But I mean, you're down twenty-seven to ten. You've you've got to make something happen, and that's where everything kind of falls apart. But I think not only just
3: like it's not just the four touches. It's you know you can't throw the ball downfield very well. Just it doesn't even have to be like constantly banging your head into the wall of the run game. Like just get them the ball in space. Figure it out. I think. You know, it, the vibe is starting to deteriorate. Garrett Wilson left the game. I think he just said he had the wind knocked out of him. But, you know, you don't want that guy frustrated because that's your best. That's your most explosive receiving weapon.
1: Like, Sauce Gardner the- deleted Twitter. I mean, again, like it makes sense for them to, to feel down on themselves, like given everything that's happened to the Jets over the course of the last week. But, I mean, it was always going to reach like this critical mass boiling point. Yeah, it felt like
3: all the wind was taken out the sails immediately after Aaron Rodgers got hurt. I know that they won that game against the bills that was also due to Josh Allen having cheese from right. Foster's home for imaginary friends burn. It just feels like the vibes are at an all time low. The vibe is in shambles right now. And I don't know if bringing in another quarterback is going to solve that because it's not just the fact that the jets had to bring in a new quarterback to a new offense. Like that's a big thing in itself. but. They also have to face the Patriots next and then the Chiefs and then they're on the road at Denver and then the Eagles. Then they have the bye week. This could get really ugly, really
2: fast. I mean, you have a quarterback during that time. We were worried about this Jets team with Aaron Rodgers, given that schedule. Now we have that same schedule, which looks just as tough, if not tougher without Aaron Rodgers. And what is Carson Wentz gonna come in and suddenly get this offense clicking with this late of games coming up? Is Phillip Rivers gonna come in, you know, off of retirement? Are you gonna bring Matt Ryan down from the booth? Like, where are you gonna find a quarterback right now that's gonna survive leave that
3: Ryan leave Matt Ryan alone? Hasn't he been through enough? He has been through enough, but now you got the there. Of Jets?
2: I don't know. I man. think I, the,
3: I think their best it, option it, is And I know people are gonna laugh. I think it's Jameis Winston. After the bye week, you trade for no. Yeah,
1: like you've got to like that's what it is. Like you need that like go for broke kind of play at this point. Like you need somebody. You need somebody who's unafraid at this point. Like yeah,
3: it's it's weird because you can't do it now. You can't bring in a guy now because this is the toughest stretch of games that you got this season. But bringing in a guy now to instantly learn the offense well enough so that you're starting in an NFL game is unreasonable. You're going to have to ride it out with Zach Wilson until the bye week.
1: I, I just, again, I don't blame the Jets for anything. Like, it's just it's just pent-up frustration, right? That's like, you know, they're all dealing with. But again, it, and I'm not trying to gotcha anybody, but you both saw Robert Salah said last week, you know, in the aftermath or everything. So like, well, I don't know why everybody's like writing an obituary. Well, like, Rob, this is why. <laughs> like the, this is literally why we we all said what we did. Um, so um, again, I feel for the Jets, but um, it's just tough scene all the way around. Uh, We have two games left, both really, you know, kind of fun games, I guess. So maybe not necessarily fast forwardable. Uh, The New York Giants, Mark, fell down 20 to nothing on the road against the Arizona Cardinals at halftime. Um, Giants fans are are kind of pounding their chest because of the second half comeback. I don't know that I'm there. No, (laughs) no, you can't pound (laughs) your chest after that one.
2: That's one of those where you're like, okay, let's just kind of like turn the page. Yeah, we got to win. That was nice. Road victory, right? right? Let's go. Good job, everybody. Let's not talk about that ever again. And then, look. Nice comeback. That's great. You did it against an Arizona Cardinals team that everybody think it is going to be, you know, the Caleb Williams story, you know, once we get into November and December. Um, and Saquon Barkley limped off. And now we're waiting to right. see, like, what's the result here? Like, it's ankle short week injury for
1: the Giants, by the way, against yeah. the Niners on Thursday. And they're staying
2: out West, too. They're going to stay in Phoenix for a couple of days before headed to that game. But Thursday night, like, are we going to be suddenly hearing later today when the results of that MRI come in that he's going to be sidelined for a couple of weeks. Now, what does that offense look like without Saquon Barkley? Um, they got Waller involved, which is nice. Yes. You get the comeback win, but like, I know anytime you win in the national football league, it's tough to do any given Sunday and all that. This wasn't a victory that I'd be crone about.
3: So, The thing about this victory is the Giants for the first three quarters of the game did not use Saquon Barkley and Darren Waller and then decided to use Saquon Barkley and Darren Waller, which is kind of weird considering how highly we think of Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka, but also kind of weird considering like you paid Daniel Jones $140 million, maybe the best thing that he can do is like find number 12, who's six foot 11 and just throw it to him. Um, I also regret to inform the people listening that the Giants have three of their next four games on primetime national television. Uh, uh, starting Thursday against the 49ers, the next week is Monday Night Football against Seattle, then they play the Dolphins, and then they have Sunday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills. If Saquon's not healthy. Uh, good luck. That's, that's even, really the, the biggest thing here. If Saquon, even with
1: Saquon. I mean, like, in, like are you, are you yeah. willing to say, like, oh, Saquon's good, like, I trust the Giants? No, nobody is. No, but I also think, like, Saquon makes this, makes
3: this offense go, which is what we knew going into this. Saquon makes this offense go. Now you don't have Saquon. Andrew Thomas has been injured. Good luck.
1: That's, that's really it. Um, congratulations to the New York Giants on their super impressive victory. Uh, last one, uh, Mark, the Denver Broncos had a 21-3 lead against the Washington Commanders. Um, I i mean, I'm not saying we need to, like, turn up the heat on Sean Payton, but it's kind of interesting how there doesn't seem to be a lot of heat on Sean Payton. Um, this was really embarrassing that Denver blew this. And this was an amazing, almost awesome end um, with the Hail Mary, the tip ball, and the two-point conversion that failed. Uh, but, Mark, um, the Broncos are... I mean, they, they have really... I. I used to really kind of we all have like teams we kind of like on the side that, you know, we think are interesting and we respect the Broncos were in that box for me. I have relegated them like they are the Leicester City, like they are out of the league. They're no good to me anymore. Like that is truly who they are relative to NFL current events.
2: First of all, man, JP seen Leicester City catch some strays here. Like, well, I mean, come on, that's not fair. Right. <laughs> um, Wait, we're we're trying. <laughs> Look, we're trying, man. Um, this had the potential to be the fu- and it, it maybe still it might have been the funniest ending of the entire slate of games yesterday because you get that hail mary, which just knock it down, like just knock it down, like like what are you doing back there? And then you get the two point conversion, which got there maybe a step early on that. I don't know. Do you throw the flag in that situation? Maybe that's something Sean Payton knows a little bit about. Um, Russell, kind of an up-and-down start to the season for him, I'd say. Like, you can point to some numbers that say, hey, he's actually playing really good. You can point to some other numbers that are like, he's not playing well at all. But this team is now 0-2. Like, and it's not like you're an impressive 0-2. Like, you get a loss to Jimmy G, and then Sam Howell comes to town and beats you. Um, it's going to be a fun team to watch the rest of the way. The content is going to be amazing. But I wonder who's on the hot seat more. Is it Russell or is it Peyton?
3: It's not just the being zero and two. It's the way they're zero and two. They led both of those games at halftime and then lost. And it's not just like but leading both those games and then losing. Russ looked terrible in both second halves. That's the problem. Like Russ looks fine in the first half. Like it's all like oh Russ is doing what Sean Payton's asked him to do. And I don't know what happens at halftime. I think Russ like. Russ kind of gets too hype. Like you know how when you're on like in the kitchen, you're cooking, and it's like, oh, I feel like I'm doing this, do a tea, things start smelling yeah, good. You, you, and then you, you got get,
1: the airpods on. Yeah, you're like the, yeah. you're like drumming with the utensils and stuff. You right. Feel,
3: yeah. You feel fine. You feel like Remy from Ratatouille. You're just throwing stuff in, you know, the the flow it, the vibe is flowing. And then you might you mess up a little bit. Yeah. And then you mess up again. And then all of a sudden everything is burning. Yeah. Like that's, that's what it feels like for Russell Wilson, like right now. it, it was bad like yesterday, the two minute drive didn't feel like a two minute drive. That was crisp. It felt like Russell Wilson scrambles and DPI like that. That's really what it was. And a chase young rough in the passer, right? That's really what happened there. It's just so weird seeing how good they are in the first half, not even good, how competent they are in the first half. In the second half, just completely falling apart. And I think the blame, you're not going to blame Sean Payton because this is first year. I think it has to be Russ. Like, we, we know, like, you got rid of the coach who uh, that you, you tried to blame with Russ last time. Eventually, you run out of coaches to blame. We tried to blame Pete Carroll, who got rid of multiple offensive coordinators to appease Russ. Then you trade Russ. Then you, then you fire Nate Hackett to appease Russ and get him out of the, the cellar. Maybe it's just Russ at this point.
1: Um, who is Russell Wilson quarterbacking next year? If there's a big three for football, then <laughs> <laughs> jeez, wow!
3: Like, I mean, you can really, you so can't really do anything. The Broncos are stuck with them because you paid them an insane amount of money,
1: and most you're of it's right. guaranteed. You're right, though. But we are like a few more of these circus losses away from. The you know Sean Payton applying pressure, you know what I mean to to save himself and you know establish a fall guy, you know what I mean. Like it's obvious that that's who Russ is gonna or it's gonna be Russ, but like you know the the winds are swirling, you know the the dark clouds are hovering, um you know the rain's about to happen. Um, Not not
2: not that backup quarterback movement is really should should really in any way be indicative of you know how safe a quarterback's job is. But Jared Stidham had the opportunity to stay in Las Vegas behind Jimmy G and run an offense that he knows. And he went to Denver to back up Russell Wilson. Now, maybe the money was right. Maybe there was something else going on. Maybe he likes Coors Light. Maybe he likes the brewery out there Boulder. I don't know. But he went to Denver instead of running an offense he knows inside and out. The Ryan Tannehill
1: playing. Yeah. Russell's Marcus Mariota. There you go. That's what this is. Um. Wow. Tough scene. Um. Rachel, if you could please join us, um, and give us your takeaways from Sunday of Week Two across the NFL, and of course, um, your thoughts on what we had to say and award the coveted NFL MVP. Thank you, guys.
0: You guys didn't even touch on Monday Night Football, but it's okay. Well, We're I gonna... mean,
1: you know, do we want to? I guess I'll pick the Saints and the Browns. Anybody? You know? Yeah. 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 I feel like that's Saints and Browns. Yeah. Yeah. Like these are really boring games.
0: Yeah. I mean. Okay. Okay. All right. Fair. <laughs> um. Today, I really, really liked. A lot of you guys' points, RJ, my favorite point that you made was when you just talked about Bryce Young and how pretty much like uh, once he has his strong game, this is going to add to the narrative when it comes down to the Bears uh, for sure. JP, I like your point about how Brandon Staley clock is pretty much ticking like we all kind of know that. Um, and how you just talked about Justin Fields and how like the issues are compounding pretty much and he's not helping. But Mark, you had some really, really strong points today. And so I think you guys already know who I'm going to give it to. It's going to go to Mark today. I really liked your point on the Falcons. You kind of had touched about this in the past, but just like they're a sneaky good team and how we're just excited to see how that's going to unfold this season. Uh, The Jets touchdown pretty much tells us everything we need to know about the Cowboys. I like that point you said. And also the question you presented at the end, Who's on the hot seat more, Russ or Sean Payton? And so today I give it
2: to Mark. Well, I did not see that coming, um, but I'm uh, very, very happy uh, to be making a little speech. And I'm going to actually make a movie recommendation. I'm wearing the Reno Hightower Taft Rockets. Um, if anybody has not seen the movie, The Best of Times, it's an 80s comedy. Kurt Russell is Reno Hightower. Uh, Robert Williams is in there as well. They're like, you know, over the hill, washed up ex high school football players that want to relive their like one moment of glory. So they, get their team together to like replay the big game from their last year of high school. It's absolutely fantastic content. Robin Williams is tremendous in this. And so if you get a chance, check it out. The best of times, one of my favorite football movies ever.
1: That's going to be rough. Wow. With the Seahawks. That was a, um, a good way. Look at that instead of just soaking up your moment you gave to the world, Mark, Mark also worked harder than all of us on Sunday. What was Singapore? And then did you get a nap at all? Mark? The day? I actually,
2: yeah, it, it's been a rough, 48 hours at the Schofield house. So JP knows this. Um, my, my daughter, Simone, um, I love her to death, but she's going through some sleep regression right now. So I've gotten five hours of sleep over the past two nights on Simone's floor. Um, so it's been a rough stretch here. Um, I'm running on C4 and vibes at this point, the crash that is coming later today, when I'm actually coaching baseball, I may get hit in the head with a line drive as I'm like passing out at third base, um, so it, it we're running on pure C4 and vibes right now, my friends.
1: Wow, that's how JP runs all the time, though. To be fair, it is uh, JP. Uh, before we started, you told us that you made some pasta. So, uh, as we close, could you please grade your own meal for us?
3: Oh, uh, a plus. Everything I make is awesome. So, Big ZD was a massive hit
1: for me. Congratulations to you, JP. Well done. We'll see y'all next week.